the Columbo <clears throat> William Shatner's up. I've just been watching that, sorry. Wait, the t- wait, 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 wait. Is that the one where he catches him by he forgot to wipe his fingerprints off of the bullet casing? Yes. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sad that I know that. No, it isn't. That's one of the criteria by which I judge my friends. <laughs> In the 1970s episode of Columbo, when William Shatner starred, how was he caught? Ah, uh, get out. <laughs> you have failed. That would be the question at the uh, in 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 uh, the Holy Grail. Two D, the Flat Frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. Its rotoscoped mission to repeat the same animation and music to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Starring Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants, J. David Wheater. Hello everybody. Welcome to Toon Trek, your late night journey through Star Trek, the animated series. We're here to tickle your tonsils and entertain your taste buds tonight with a classic episode written by a proper science fiction author. I am Andrew Leyland, and as ever, I am joined by Bill Robinson, who is not a doctor but plays one in a podcast. This is not ASMR. Yes, it is. Dave Pascarella has also joined us from the other side of the world for tonight's Playboy After Dark. We're here tonight to discover whether the slave of weapon can core a apple. <laughs> and from the cold recesses of the underside, Paul Spataro. As usual, I got nothing. I'm here. <laughs> I don't know that I can keep that up through the entire episode, but that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are here today to talk about Slaver Weapon, written by Larry Niven. But before we do that, as usual, regular listeners will know, it's time to tune in to our Star Trek news that's not really news, because we record this well in advance of it actually being released. So you guys have probably seen the thing that we're talking about as being announced as news section of the show. Maybe we should call this Olds. This is the Olds section. This isn't the news. Have I got nudes for you? Whoa, oh, that, that's a completely other ship. Uh, I'm, I am not aware that there is any news at the moment. Well, Star it's Trek Discovery, Star Trek Discovery's up to five episodes. Anybody watched them besides me? Because I'm uh, a masochist. I've watched the first two, and I got halfway through the third one, and I thought that one was a bit boring, and I just drifted off and lost interest. So I'll pick up with episode four. Mm. Um, but I think as we record this, only five have heard. Yes. I think. So, yeah. um, but um, it's 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 okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. But it's like, I guess they had a lot of. Uh, I guess it's being shown for free on Pluto TV because basically Netflix was like, yeah, nah, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, uh, I'm out. I didn't know. It was yeah, I'm, on Pluto. 
I wonder what they... I think that's only over here. I do wonder, because what happened was... I don't know if we've discussed this. It was geared to appear on Netflix the same day as it appears in the United States on whatever streaming platform it appears over there. And it was announced. It was going to start streaming. It was on the TV magazines. It was previewed in the listings. And 24 hours before that was supposed to happen, Discovery disappeared off Netflix. <laughs> Not just the new shows. Discovery completely disappeared off Netflix. There was no announcement. There was nothing. Now, I don't know if you know this, lovely listeners, but Star Trek fans are quite vocal when they don't get what they want. And thus, they took to social media, letting the actors, the producers, and indeed Paramount Television know in no uncertain terms that they were not best pleased by this last-minute decision. Now, the actors were like, um, we didn't know. We were over at a convention in August, basically plugging the show's arrival. This is nothing to do with us. We, we, we didn't know about this. And what has happened is they have secured a deal with Pluto TV to air the episodes as live every Friday night at nine o'clock, as if it was a regular television show. Until Paramount can launch their own launch, sorry, their own streaming service in the new year. The high point of which will probably be Star Trek Discovery, and I presume star trek strange new worlds because correct me if i'm wrong lovely man you would know this better than me does upn have anything else worth watching upn uh, is that not what it is anymore it. oh no no that's what it used to be no right uh they've got see they've got all the cbs shows they were they're releasing some movies uh in uh like same time in in the theater i mean they've so got we're paying another subscription fee for i'm sorry what Worth paying another subscription fee for? No. Ah, right. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I, I have access to it, but yeah, nah. I mean, it's. It was nice when I got to watch uh, the Stand when they re-released that remake, but uh, even that was kind of meh. See, I'd I'd love to know what the behind-the-scenes shenanigans were there for that to go down at that late moment that everyone thought Netflix were going to broadcast it, and then suddenly they're not. And especially given that, by all accounts, Netflix pumped money into the first couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. So for Netflix to say, eh, no thanks, how badly was it doing on Netflix? For them to say, no, we're not bothered. Take it, we don't care. Well, I haven't looked it up lately, but I know when they... Re I, what was it, last season... Maybe it was last year. They released season one on broadcast. Yeah, yeah, it was TV. On, on Channel Four over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't really, didn't really get good ratings. Now, is well, that because it, a lot of people have already seen it? I don't that know. Are going it, to see it? Up, it was originally on at nine in the evening because it has the word "fuck" in it because it's adult now, uh, and it quickly migrated to past midnight. Is that where things go to die? Yes, pretty much. That's currently where Batwoman is. Oh, well, yeah, that, okay. Which does not have good ratings over here. And that started as a, an 8 o'clock show as well. So the further back it slips in the schedule mm. is normally an indicator of how well it's doing. In live broadcast, obviously, it could be cleaning up on on streaming services. I don't know. Cause they the don't problem really I have them. with this kind of thing is they're putting out... And I haven't watched... 
an episode in a while, but they're putting out what we have generally kind of thought was a subpar product as far as the writing goes. And then because of that, the ratings, the streaming numbers, whatever, aren't as good as they could be. And instead of the suits who make the decisions saying, you know what, we need to increase the quality of the show because we're not pulling in the viewers, they're going to say, ah, people don't like Star Trek, and they're not going to make any more. <laughs> would that that were true, <laughs> given the announcements. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying with it. I think my problem with Discovery isn't so much the writing per se. I think I, t- I don't want to get into an anti-discovery rant because it's low-hanging fruit, and I don't want all the discovery stands in my inbox. Yeah, well, a good my apple. problem. Oh. Yeah. Well, I texted you guys. There's one episode. I can't remember which episode it was in this season. It was either the end of season one, season one, the end of episode one, or the beginning of season two. Captain Burnham gives a speech, and Kirk. It would have been inspirational because Shatner was good at inspirational. And Picard, it would have been commanding, because he was good at commanding. And Avery Brooks, it would have been, I'm about to kick your ass, because that's what Cisco did. And even Janeway, it would have been, you know, it would have been a, a captain giving a speech to inspire the crew. And Captain Burnham whispered her way through the entire thing, looking like she was on the verge of tears throughout doing it. And then all the crew just sat around looking smug when she'd given it. And I'm just sat there going... If that was my commanding officer, I would not be inspired right now. And that's my problem with it. The line delivery of all of the dialogue is whispered like they're on the verge of crying all the time. Like the way you introduced us today. Yes, like when I... No, when I introduced (laughs) us today, it was was a play-by after dark kind of day. Well, maybe that's what they're going for. Yeah. And I like the look of it this year. I like the new uniforms. And there's some members of that crew I really like. I love OK and Detmer. And I really like Dr. Colbert. And I really like Saru's a bit wet. But, you know, he's OK, I guess. But there's not there's not a commanding presence on the show. And I kind of feel Star Trek needs a commanding presence. I think we said this when we talked about Deep Space Nine, all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. If you've not got a captain that holds the screen, that holds your attention as an audience member, you've not got a Star Trek show. Yeah. I don't I don't disagree with you. I think you need you need an ensemble show with one person who is the you know almost like the MC. You know, he's, he's got to be the one who's just kind of the Ed Sullivan of the show. That <laughs> makes all yeah. the pieces run together. Yeah, you've got to have you've got to have a commanding presence in centre seat. It can be an ensemble show. You know, there were episodes of Next Gen where Patrick Stewart took a back seat. There's episodes of Deep Space Nine where Avery Brooks wasn't around. And they had good enough actors to hold the show up when they weren't there. But you need that one commanding presence in centre seat. And I think what's really irritating about Star Trek uh, Discovery is they had it. Go back to the pilot episode, leave Burnham in jail, and follow the adventures of Captain Georgia. Because she was infinitely more interesting as a performer and as a captain than or, anyone uh, else has been on that show. Well, what's his name? Uh, I can't even think of what his name is. Lorca. Yeah, Lorca. Lorca. He, was a, yeah, he, was a, he was a commanding presence. Abjus and Isaac. Too toxic with their aggression. 
it's it's a sh- I mean I'm looking forward to Strange New Worlds. I'm still excited for Strange New Worlds because Anson Mount was the best thing about that season that he was in, and it, it was that thing where this guy, this this actor, has walked in and they are commanding attention away from the regulars. And there's a part of you that thinks he he came in and just did that because of his natural charisma and presence. And there's a part of you that's thinking, I wonder if the rest of the actors felt a little bit put out. That Anson Mount just walked in and walked away with the show. It's amazing how he's matured from back in the days when he played Patsy. (laughs) That's a different Wrong Oh, oh, oh. But that other Anson did direct episodes of Star Trek, so you know I can understand your confusion. Anyway, that's just my. I, there's, a, there's a lot. Discovery looks brilliant on a big TV. Well, but you so, know, so I've seen up to the fifth episode this season, and I've been enjoying some of the things they've uh, been doing with the Doctor more than anything else on the show and last episode there was an interaction between him and David Cronenberg which is you know that's just a strange thing in itself that to me that's like the best part of the episodes is David Cronenberg popping up yeah I love it when David Cronenberg shows up he's really good the rest of it I'm just kind of like yeah, yeah, okay, let's just get to the part. Let's just get to the thing. Although they did introduce... They in, in, introduced a new character who is... You thought Stamus was bad, or Stamus was o- 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 over the top and a pain in the ass scientist? Oh, my God, this guy was... Here, hold my beer. Just <laughs> puts, puts Stamets to shame. So much so that by the end of the episode, he's in awe of this guy. And you know what? He's in awe of somebody else. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind Stamets at all. I quite like Stamets, but I think that's my main problem. It's that you know maybe Burden would be fine if she'd remained first officer or a commander or a lieutenant or whatever. There isn't a commanding presence at the heart of the show, and I kind of feel that's what you need. But you know, I mean, so yeah, you haven't got to the third uh, uh, one, which I think that's the one. What? Do you, do you mind if I tell you a spoiler? No, no, you can tell, because I got bored halfway through it, so I don't know if I'm going to go back to it. So, it oh, so you did start to watch it. Conversation. Yeah, it was right. a big, long that's, conversation. That's the one with the Vulcans. Yeah, the Vulcans. Yeah, well, they're not called Vulcans anymore. Uh, the Navarre. Yeah, whatever. The Vulcans. So Nirvana decides it's going to come back into the Federation and make albums again. Good. So, Kirk Cobain's alive. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, apparently... So you saw where, where they got there, and the Vulcans wanted this, and the Federation says you can't have that. Yeah, basically, the Vulcans wanted an exit clause so they could leave at any time. Well, the Navarre. Yeah. So, um, long story short, who's the only person that could reach a compromise? That would be Captain Burnham, I'd wager. Yes. Yes, because she is of both worlds. She is of Navarre. And she is of the Federation. Blah, blah, blah. I'm the perfect person to solve all your problems. Alright, I won't say that F word. <laughs> See, that's as an idea. I don't mind that. Yeah, but I it's think, a so we've done that with Spock. Like me, I'm the, the one that can fix everything. Shut up. And they did it with when Picard had mind melded with Sarek. That helped him bridge the gap with Spock. So as an idea, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's whether or not the execution of it is okay. And I do sometimes find the execution in Discovery sadly lacking. 
But I did enjoy season two of Lower Decks, so that's a surprise. <clears throat> yeah, that had some hype. That had some good things in it here and there. Yeah, the good episodes were the ones where um, Thingio wasn't the lead. What's her name? Uh, Mariner? Yeah, yeah, I can't stand Mariner. But everyone else on that show I really like. Well, speaking of shows that don't have one of the leads in it, maybe hey! this episode. Segway boy. Segway, <laughs> that is impressive. Yes, level weapon. Direct all your hate mail about us disliking Star Trek Discovery to whatever email address we have. We may address it on the show. Who knows? Uh, it was written by Larry Niven. Again, it says it's directed by Hal Sutherland. I don't know that anyone's really directing these anymore. I think they just show up, throw some <laughs> animation together, and away you go. This originally aired on December just, 8th. Just find some old animation that fits the voice and put it together. Yeah, just give it all to the editor. Animation. Well, in the case of this episode, they didn't even bother doing that, because I'm sure there are shots of Kirk that pretend to be Sulu. Yes, there are. Right, okay, I thought I blinked and imagined that. Anyway, we'll do the synopsis first, and then we'll we'll get on to uh, the episode itself. Captain's Log, Stardate 4187.3. The Enterprise shuttlecraft Copernicus, carrying Science Officer Spock, voiced by Leonard Nimoy. Communications Officer Lieutenant Uhura, voiced by Nichelle Nichols. And Helmsman Lieutenant Hikaru Sulu, voiced by George Takai. I don't know why their entire names are important. Are en route to Starbase 25 to deliver a stasis box, a rare artifact of the slaver culture. The now extinct slavers use these objects to carry weapons, valuables, scientific instruments and data. The boxes can detect each other and evidence shows that another device is located near Better Lyrae. Following a signal, the shuttle lands on an ice planet where the crew is captured by the hostile cat-like Kazinti. The Kazinti had an empty stasis box of their own and were using it to lure in passing starships. They're trying to steal the boxes in the hopes of finding a super weapon that will return the Empire to its former greatness. The Kazinti opened the box that the Enterprise has been transporting, finding inside some fresh meat, a picture of a slaver, and a powerful but unfamiliar alien device, which the Kazinti immediately suspect is a weapon. The weapon passes hands several times between the Federation and Kazinti crews, during which time Sulu discovers a total conversion beam setting. The Kazinti recapture all three Federation personnel and the weapon. As the Kazinti explore the device's many settings, they discover a war computer that starts talking to them. After the Kazinti fail to provide several code words and ask about the total conversion beam setting, the weapon concludes that they are enemies and detects them to what it claims is the setting they want, but which is actually a self-destruct setting. When the Kazinti activate that setting, it turns out to be a disruptor field that destroys the weapon and kills the Kazinti in a Saturday morning cartoon show aimed at children. The end. And they do, they all have a laugh at the end of this episode. This is the only cartoon, only episode of this series that any characters die on. It's it's actually quite a good one. I actually quite enjoyed this. My my main problem with this one was that it's a four-part episode of Doctor Who crammed into 22 minutes. So given that it's only a 22-minute story, the amount of times the, the characters get captured, escape, and get captured again, and then escape again, and then get captured again is remarkably high. But other than that, the basic structure of the episode and the basic story was really quite good. And I like that they don't feel the need to shoehorn in any additional subplots because it's only 22 minutes. In live action, this would never have got made. There's no way Shatner would have said, I'm not in an episode. Get out of town. What I would do in that situation was say, am I still getting paid? And they would go, yeah, you're the series lead. You'll still get a salary. All right, I'm off to the beach for a week. 
But Shatner wouldn't have allowed that. So there would have been a Galileo 7 type subplot where Kirk on the Enterprise is trying to find them. I liked that this just wasn't Kirk, Spock and McCoy. I liked that it was Kirk, Kirk, Spock, Uhura and Sulu. It gives it a different dynamic than what you normally have. And the story's actually quite good. And yeah, we can complain that the animation's as limited as ever is. But what's the point? We've done that too many times. So as a whole, I thought this was one of the better ones. The, the, the old... uh, Memory Alpha says that they believe William Shatner was unavailable, but that would require them that's... to like rewrite the script a little more than a. Yeah, think they would I think want I to. think that's bullshit. I think what happened is they can slide this script through without him even knowing about it because it's animation, and only give it to the three actors that they need. I I would put money on the fact Shatner doesn't know this episode exists. Well, I don't know, because maybe that's why they got captured and recaptured so many times, because they had to take out his portion. Maybe. We'd have to have us... I've not read... or not read recently the Alan Dean Foster Logs novel, so I don't know if there's any scenes with Kirk in the middle of it. Oh, yeah, I should... yeah. I've been trying to collect those. I've, I've got a lot of them. I don't know if I have this story in it. I should, I see, I've got them all as three omnibuses, and I suppose oh. I should dig them out and have a look. But the thing with that is, you don't know if Alan Dean Foster will have just added that. Because right. by this oh, point, true, he, because he does, he yeah, was really he does. padding them out, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, the only quibble I I have with the plot of this is that is okay, there no so quibbles they, at all? Yeah, exactly. The so they open they open the box. What's in the box? <laughs> Sorry, somebody had to say it. So they open the, the box, box and the, head. <laughs> there's a there's a weapon like that they e- even say, well, this is like some type of spy device, blah, 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 blah. They have a picture of some horrible beast that they immediately assume is a picture of these actual slavers and a piece of meat. <laughs> Obviously, this person, this box is for a spy who is going to go capture the, the being in the picture. It is not a picture of the slaver race. I'm like, why? I'm like, you're Mr. Spock. You use logic. You can't put simple deduction together and figure out that's not a picture. I'm like, what? No. No. They're trying to capture that creature. That's why there's raw meat in the box. Anyway, that was that's my only quibble, really. I mean, you know. I'm with the bell on this because I was thinking the same thing. Okay. <laughs> That's two of us. So you think it's like the Mission Impossible box? Like, this is your mission. Yes. Here's, here's your weapon, mm-hmm. and here's what you got to yes. go get with it. Go capture this creature. If or you or any of your sla- any of your slaver spies are caught, you will be disavowed yep. by the director. I just remember thinking it was a real bastard's trick to leave a grenade with a pit without the pin in it in one of these boxes. Oh, yeah, that they... Yeah. So they've got a box, and now it's 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 like they're... Uh, we're going we're gonna to get other people to come because we've, we've got an empty box. So now we're going to... How do they know the, the, the box is just... How did... Sp- oh, how, yeah. You know what? Same. I said I was only going to have one quibble, and I'm just going to stop. It just seems like a very big coincidence. Well, it's like, oh, obviously it's in this nebula. 
Well, what, because a little wisp of energy kind of pointed that way? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. I like What's the police web. Yeah, I like the police web. Can't move. By Spider-Man yeah. Industries. Yeah. <laughs> I, I quite like that. I mean, for the budget, it's fine, I guess. I mean, it would have been nicer if it was like a Tholian web type thing. But it was all around them. But I, I quite like it. I want I my name to I still be... don't like the space suits. That's just a yellow outline around them. But I get why they like that. <clears throat> I want to be ch- uh, my name to be Chuffed Captain. Yeah, the chuffed. I'm chuffed captain. Yeah. Uh, there's not many voices in this one, so Paul can't do his Jimmy Doohan impression. Although I'm, I'm convinced Jimmy Jimmy Doohan is in it. Well, he does he does the Kazinti. Right. There's he no does the, uh, there's, there's he does no the Scotty in it. it. <laughs> uh, can we just point out as well that the telepath is useless? He contributes nothing to the story. And basically says, well, I don't want to scan that one because, well, he's a Vulcan. And I don't want to scan that one because, well, it's a woman. a woman. So there's only Sulu that I can scan. And he and keeps thinking just... of eating vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. What a way to block somebody. Uh, asparagus. Broccoli. How great. I was going to script edit this, I'd cut him out. Well, how great would it have been if it was Christopher Lloyd playing that part? <laughs> As Jim from that. Taxi? Yeah, as Jim from Taxi. Uh, <laughs> I can't see anything. Okie dokie. I like at the end when they're rattling off all the uh, races that, oh, it's a good thing they didn't get their hands on it. Oh yeah, because you know the Federation doesn't have old Section Thirty Seven anymore. I was, I, I was thinking that too. Yeah, oh, it's a good thing we got oh, here, right? Mm, Must yeah. us. <laughs> what did you think of the uh, the animation of the, the uh, shuttle? It looks like something else that's familiar. I thought it was at least something a little new. <laughs> which is yeah. more than we've gotten. Oh yeah, because it's a different style. Uh, it's not. I, gonna... I think the design's a bit too busy for 1960s Star Trek designs. 1960s designs were always quite clean and and straightforward. This felt like it had too many bits stuck on it. I think this shuttle went through uh, "Pimp My Ride." Yeah, and got tricked out. It reminded me of Buck Rogers ship going through a "Pimp My Ride." Mm. Yeah, it is. It is more Buck Rogers than Star Trek. That's very <clears> true. <throat> So the Kazinti were, uh, I remember in high school, I think we brought this up briefly last time, perhaps. Yeah, because they're in time trap, aren't they? Well, yeah, and but 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 they're also, they were really ubiquitous with um, Larry Niven's books back in the 80s. Uh, I, I remember friends that read them when I was in the service, seeing them on... Uh, on bookshelves, you know, the man Kazin Wars, you know, book four, but they were like anthologies. Uh, I kind of read up on them. It's a lot. <laughs> we could probably do a whole show just to talk about them, but uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's an interesting race. They're kind of, uh, their whole point of existence is to fight and each time to lose more and more until they basically become more docile and are manageable. 
was like the whole plot line. In Star seemed. Trek Enterprise, wasn't it the Zindi? The Zindi. Zindi. Yeah. So, and, and if I'm remembering my Enterprise, you know, and it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but wasn't the Zindi kind of a, a conglomeration of several different races that kind of united for the yeah, sake of, uh, of, of domination? They had like an aqua race, a insect race, a humanoid race. Was there like five so races? Could, could the Zinti be part of the Zindi? I don't know. No, because the Zinti are mentioned in Picard. Oh, that that's right. That's right. Commander Riker, sorry, Captain Riker mentions them, doesn't he? Yeah, but is aren't they mentioned in an episode of uh, Next Gen? I don't. Well. I can't remember if they're mentioned in Next Generation. Although let's, I'll, I'll look that up while you do what you're doing. Okay. And are they still pretty in pink? Meow. <laughs> 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 On the, the USS Psychedelic Fur. Dude. Dude. <laughs> Great. Now i have got that in my head. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm trying... Okay. Another uh, apparently, cycle. I've just Googled and I've come up with Tor, Tor.com's rewatch of Star Trek, the original series. And this says this is the only appearance of the Kazinti in Star Trek on screen. Although they were mentioned in the Infinite Vulcan and the Time Trap. They're in a game and it doesn't mention the Picard appearance. So I presume this was written before they were mentioned in, in Star Trek mm. Picard. So there you go. Are they? Yeah. Did you just say that they were in a game? Because they were. Yeah. I, I I had the Starfleet Battles board game with little. That's the one. Yep. 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 They oh, were also, there. it mentions the book. Alan Dean Foster's adaptation of the episode uh, only takes up three of its sixteen chapters hmm. because it's one of the later books where one episode was fleshed out into a full novel. So there's a prelude that shows how the threesome came into possession of the stasis box before the episode, a plot what was going on back on the Enterprise during the episode, and ah. then a follow-up plot in which Kirk, Spock, Sula, and Uhura get their minds swapped in a transporter accident. So he did pad out that one, this one quite a lot. Wow, they get their minds swapped in a yeah. transporter? They must have seen that Avengers episode we just covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I was thinking of a book, one of the stories from the um, the New Voyages book. Have you, yeah. It, there was one, I, I remember where they go, it's Uhura, Kirk, and Spock at least go through a machine, and it switches their sexes, but Spock <coughs> does not, I think he does not change his sex because of Vulcan, whatever. But Uhura becomes a man, and Kirk becomes a woman. God, I haven't read that story since, like, the 70s. And that's the last you saw of Kirk for the episode. <laughs> uh, I'll be in my quarters if you need anything. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's evil. Wow, we're really not talking about the... So what about the weapon? The weapon that's, uh... Yeah, like, nobody saw that, you know... Sure, what's the password? I don't know. <laughs> it's, really? almost like, it's almost like a return to the Packlids. <laughs> just just try and short it. <laughs> Take me outside. Here, let me turn into this. Uh, it, you know. it, it's, it does seem a bit like very potluck. 
that they're even going to get a weapon in one of these stasis boxes because it seems to me that they were all plotted by practical jokers. It feels like a I'm going to put show. meat in this one. Yeah, but the next one the up's going to have a cuddly toy in it. What if what if one guy was shipping his laundry to his mom? Yeah, in a stasis box. You open it up and it's a, it's a box of canned squid. Yeah, and you've got some guy planting a, a live grenade in there. And did for all they know, this was a lady shave. Well, it didn't they look like it's a weapon? Didn't they say that the meat too was poison? You know, that's what. Yes, see, that's another thing. That's another thing that led me to believe that they were trying to capture this beast because the meat was poison. Maybe it was something to to give to that beast to kill it. If you didn't want to or use maybe that weapon. was the suicide pill. If you're captured, eat the meat. <laughs> and somebody comes in, you just grab it, you start... What's he's your eyes having lunch? Let him finish. For my last meal, I would like that piece of raw meat. <laughs> yeah, sure, we were going to kill you anyway. You just saved us the trouble. Mm. Nobody opened the box and went, Oh, great, it's a blow dryer. <laughs> So females in the Kazinti uh, hierarchy are basically not even in the hierarchy. That sounds like another episode where the women have nothing to say. That sounds like a whole other show. I'm not even getting it. Man. But it allows Uhura to remain somewhat, uh, you know, she appears to be harmless, so she's able to actually act. See, yeah, that was a good idea. It's just a shame that they had to be shot and captured twice more. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does. It does. I think you're right, Andy. And I, I didn't really think about it as much when I was watching it, but I think this is an episode where they just tried to squeeze a little too much in, and that's probably the biggest criticism of it. <clears throat> and I don't know that that's. I. It's it's a valid criticism, but I don't know if it's fair because so many of these episodes have seemed to have like an amount of fluff to them that mm-hmm. when you get one where they're trying to be a little bit more uh, meaty in what they do, and no no pun intended with the meat left in the slaver weapon, uh, but when you know when they finally do really make an effort to to make a good science fiction story and put it all together, and then you got to squeeze it into 22 minutes, uh, maybe you know. Maybe, maybe we just got to credit them for that and, and say, okay, well, they tried to do too much, but they weren't going to be given, you know, four episodes to do this. They probably should have, you know, just cut out a couple of the captures. <laughs> but uh, but overall, you know, it, it is an, an interesting thought that there's this, this race of slavers that is now extinct, and, you know, we're, we're getting a hold of their weaponry, which is, you know, very very dangerous in its own way so I kind of think conceptually it's a really solid thought you know just in execution because they're trying to make a 22 minute cartoon for kids yeah it's because it's adapted from a a story by Larry Niven already it is actually a science fiction story that they're adapting so that's probably why was this before or after he was in the Pink Panther that was after okay Captain O so that's probably why it's a decent <coughs> premise. I know I really like this one for the most part. I think we're just we're just dancing around the fact that there is too many captures and escapes. That that maybe could have been rewritten so there wasn't quite as many. 
But for the most part, I think this is one of the better ones that we've had recently. I, mm. I would agree. I, I mean, I, last time around, I was a little higher than you guys were on the uh, the episode. But, you know, overall, uh, you know, it feels like it's finding its footing a little bit here. we have anything more on this? Or are we all just sitting around waiting for the others to talk? <laughs> You know, you know, <clears throat> Dr. Bill, you just have so much to say. Well, I was well, I was distracted by something, and I was debating bringing it up, so I'll just bring it up anyway. So the president of the Federation, Andy, ha- have you realized that she's a Cardassian or has Cardassian uh, roots? Yeah, she she looks like she's a Cardassian hybrid of some kind. Like We're back on Star Trek Discovery now for the listener. <laughs> there is no yeah. Cardassian in this episode. Yeah, she looks like she's a Cardassian hybrid, like she's a Bajoran Cardassian. Yeah, but I don't know, or a human Cardassian. Really, 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 really toned down the ridges, like it's a like a well, multiple maybe she's, mixing. Is uh, it possible her grandfather or mother? Well, that's was what a I'm thinking because, because it's like 900 years. Hmm. So, but I, but I, it was because I didn't notice it the first few a, a, ones that she was in, and there was a lot of close-ups in a certain episode, and I was like. Oh wait, she's got she's got the ridges. She's got it on her forehead. It's like oh, she's a Cardassian. And then later in that episode, they actually bring up about the Cardassian. I was like oh oh okay, I was right. Sorry, I totally sidetracked us once again. So are we gonna rate, or are we gonna see what Blaine says? No, we rate. <laughs> then we see what Blaine says. We rate. That's, that that is that is our uh, format. I don't know if you've noticed that over the last seven or eight years. (laughs) I have such a bad memory. Every show is a new show. You want me to go first? Yeah, you know, I was letting letting Dave go first. I'll wait till last. I thought it was alright. It was entertaining. It was something different. Seeing only three characters. Um... They actually killed someone. Uh, I give it slightly, slightly better than average. Uh, I rate it at a B minus. Okay, but we rate it on, on a number scale. All right, I forgot which show we were on. <laughs> you guys talking about me? I give it a three point five. Okay, even without Dave's bloodlust of being happy that they killed someone, I found I got myself to the same rating of three point five. Because uh, I just thought it was an above-average episode. It was enjoyable. There was, you know, some some inherent silliness, but you know that's just a, the nature of the beast. Some some animation mistakes, but that's also the nature of the beast. Uh, I thought it was bold of them to to put together an episode that didn't have Captain Kirk in it. As much as I love that character, I just thought it was kind of cool to just see. In, in its own way, there's a little bit more realism to that that the captain wouldn't be out on every away mission. So. Uh, you know, 3.5. Yeah, I will give it uh, 3.5 uh, Slaver Shavers. <laughs> um, I find it interesting in that we have actually fully crossed over into another science fiction universe at a time like where we are now, where everything is owned by corporate... Yeah, that thing. Entities and and you know copyrights and 
well, you can't use this, you can't use that. Jimmy Stewart in space. Ah. Um, that um, that we could see this mixture of two different science fiction universes, and uh, and it actually is rather quite well. Uh, so yeah, three point five uh, slaver shavers coming next Christmas. Yeah, I give it three point five as well. I thought this was a cut above some of the other ones we've seen. I like that it's a different structure of episode. Like you guys, I like that we've got a different focus on three different characters. It isn't just Kurt Buck and McCoy, which would probably just make it metamorphosis all over again. I think if they'd done that. So yeah. I guess we're minimizing DeForest Kelly a little bit because we've mentioned several times that Kirk isn't in it, but nobody's mentioned that, that McCoy wasn't. Whoops. I, I think that's because there are a couple of episodes of the show that McCoy's not in. He's not in Errand of Mercy. He's not in, is it what a little girl's made of? So I, I think it's not as unusual for them to be an episode that McCoy isn't in, although the, there's not many of Tom Jones. Yeah, it isn't unusual. Um, but it is very unusual to have an episode of Star Trek that doesn't have your title character, your title character, your um, series lead in it. No, I agree. I agree. I just feel like we didn't mention him and it was worth mentioning. Anyway, that's what we all thought of the episode. But what does Blaine think? Oh, wait, is this something I'm supposed to do? Remember, Once I forget. Again, you know, you, you, you forget the format from week to week, so <laughs> I guess we'll just go on without any kind of Blaine intro song. Incoming transmission. Hi, guys. This is the episode that convinced me to buy this series on DVD and risk disappointment if the series hadn't aged well. I didn't want to repeat the impact that Knight Rider or the A-Team had the first time I watched each as an adult. I really should watch those again, too, since I expected the perfection I saw as a five-year-old. And if I watch them my third time, now my expectations may be closer to reality. In any event, when the animated series came out on DVD, I was on a huge Larry Niven binge. I got into Green Lantern because his name was on Ganthet's Tale. Heck, I bought all three seasons of the original Land of the Lost because he had writing credits there. I still haven't ventured past season one, though. At any rate, Niven's discussion of this episode in Playgrounds of the Mind was enough to convince me to take the plunge. Memory Alpha quotes a lot of his commentary there, including the fact that he got permission to make this an episode without Kirk. But they leave out the bit where Niven asked for that because he finds Kirk boring and shallow, if memory serves. I no longer own the book and can't double-check to be sure, but I am fairly confident, since I actually agree with him and was happy to finally see someone else say the same thing. Like a lot of Niven's short stories, the plot revolves around solving a puzzle or mystery. There are action sequences, but the plot will not be resolved by combat. Instead, once the puzzle is solved, the solution presents itself. This adapted very effectively for Star Trek, perhaps too effectively, more on that later. We go back to Sulu's interest in weapons, one of the few character traits he was given, and get more support for Uhura. Spock's rib-breaking kick is excellent and an in-character strategy. The crew work well together in a plot originally based on three other characters. The part that may have worked too well would be the Kazinti. Remember, at this point, all we knew about Klingons was that they were violent. The Kazinti show up in the animated series, and then when Star Trek The Next Generation comes to air, we get to learn a lot more about the Klingon culture, and it reads a lot like the Kazinti culture as written in the 1960s and 70s. I wouldn't be surprised if that's similar from a production standpoint to Robert Duncan Menil signing up to play Nicholas Lacarno on Voyager, 
only to show up on set and find out he's playing Tom Paris instead, just so Paramount wouldn't have to pay royalties to Ronald D. Moore and Naren Shankar for every episode of Voyager ever made, because those were the two that created Locarno. I suspect that a lot of the Kazinti culture was simply transplanted onto the Klingon race, so they could work with those attributes without writing a whole lot more checks out to Larry Niven. These are unproven suspicions based on nothing more than a highly unusual amount of parallels between the two. The intelligence of Klingon woman is really the only distinction between them, frankly. So, a great episode that may or may not have had a huge influence on Star Trek to come. If only Hal Sutherland wasn't colorblind, so they could have gotten the Kazinti ship right. Interesting, and you know, so, so <laughs> Blaine is delving a little deeper into the Star Trek culture and the you know to, to come, uh, and has has an insight into it that I certainly didn't have about you know uh, Niven's other writing and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he's correct on on the way that that's being played. I, you know whether or not it's to avoid a check or not, I don't know, uh, but it wouldn't shock me certainly. Um, he, you know, he has it as a great episode. I think we have it as a very good episode. So mm-hmm. slight difference, but otherwise, I think we're, you know, it's Blaine gives an interesting perspective as far as I'm concerned. Well, Wikipedia contradicts that colorblind thing, but it's Wikipedia, so. Well, Wikipedia says, is always accurate. Always, yes. But this, mm. the Kazinti clothing and ships were depicted in shades of pink, was long rumored to be due to director Hal Sutherland's colorblindness. But this was contradicted by Bob Klein, filmmaker, designer, and layout artist, who stated in a podcast interview that the color choices were the work of color stylist Irv Kaplan. They therefore issued an apology to Larry Niven for this oversight. Now, the link, so number nine, it says there. So that podcast was Saturday morning track 26. It's green and purple and pink. So they do actually source that statement, which a lot of Wikipedia doesn't. So I've no reason to disbelieve them. But it isn't the first time Hal Sutherland's colour blindness has been mentioned. Is it so? I have a recommendation that ties directly into this. The, the History Channel is running a program called The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek. And I believe it's the third or fourth episode. They talk all about this with the color blindness and the color of the ship and the suit and all that. Very interesting. It's narrated by Gates McFadden. All right. I wonder if we get that. I'll have to have a look at that yes, on the History exactly. Channel. Yes, History right. Channel. I'll have a see if our History Channel. There's only four out so far, but there's supposed to be, I think, ten covering the whole series. Right. Okay. Uh, we'll check and see if we get that. I don't agree with them about Captain Kirk, though. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I yes, I agree with you, Andy. <laughs> I, I, I have always loved the character of Captain Kirk, and I always will. I, love I don't. Captain I don't Kirk. think he's two-dimensional. I think he's got a lot of nuances, and I give a lot, a lot of credit of those nuances to what people criticize is the acting of William Shatner. I think he does a lot of things to give his character some emotional depth in the way he portrayed it. Uh, and I think I've said this before. My opinion on what is termed as overacting by him and hamminess, I think, is more based upon his being a like kind of a stage actor uh, and being used to having to kind of emote a little bit more so that the people in the audience would actually see what he's doing uh, you know where you can't have close-ups 
uh, I think you know that that's his his background, and I think that's where he uh, you know where he goes with this. Yes, I don't think he is happy. Well, maybe at some point in the third season he does tend to open up a stasis box full of ham. All right, I'll give you that. But Balance of Terror is a great performance from Shatner. <clears throat> so is Charlie X. Not going to get any argument from me. I, I I love William Shatner's performance, and I think it was perfect for Captain Kirk. If you want to see him play a one-dimensional character, watch TJ Hooker. <laughs> so, any anything else before we close this out? <laughs> In that case, what are we doing next time? Next time, an all-new episode of Coon Track. It's season one, episode 15, as television writer David P. Harmon returns for the Eye of the Beholder, which was also an episode of The Next Generation, wasn't it? Or was it a Next Generation novel? It's a novel. Right, okay. Just as a final thought, because just, I just recalled, uh, I think this was one of two episodes of the animated series that I had seen. Remember we talked earlier about how I hadn't seen it when it was on, and then... Uh, they had it in a video store on VHS, uh, but they didn't have all the episodes. They had one, one, di- one tape that I saw, and it was the Lorelei signal, which we've all loved, uh, <laughs> and this. So this is this is one of the the two episodes I had seen, you know, years and years ago. We're talking about in the you know early 1980s. Yeah, because I've I've got one of those tapes that has yesteryear, but I don't remember what the second feature on that is I'm pretty sure this was the second unless my memory is faulty which is not necessarily you know error <laughs> error it could be could be James Roy Kirk for all I know <laughs> well so we'll call it on that and I will say bye bye everybody goodbye bye error error <laughs>